darkness, Jesus found me, touched my eyes and made me see. Broke sin's chains that long had bound me, gave me life and liberty.
Good evening. It's good to have each one of you with us on this uh, Friday evening service. We're going to begin with hymn 127 in the Blue Hymnals, hymn 127, Man of Sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Let's stand, please, as we sing this. I hope you really sing it out when we get to that hallelujah, what a Savior, hymn 127. We'll start uh, that fourth stanza without the instruments, then they can join us halfway through now in heaven, exalted high. On that fourth stanza. sing for us. Uh, Mr. Narla, could you please lead us in prayer?
your handles, turn to him 112. In 112, up Calvary's mountain, one dreadful morn, walk Christ my Savior, weary and worn, blessed Redeemer, hymn 112. second stanza and how amazing the forgiveness of Christ as he said father uh, forgive them for they know not what they do on that second stanza We'll sing that third stanza, then we'll have the offering after this hymn. Let's really sing it out on that third stanza as we think of all that Christ did for us. May we sing, Oh, how I love him. Savior and friend, how can my praises ever find end? On that third stanza.
have just a couple announcements tonight. One is this Sunday um, after the morning service, if you'd like to have a family uh, photo, uh, Karen Johnson will be available in the high school room after the Sunday morning service if you would like to have a family photo uh, this Sunday. Also, I believe the food pantry will be open for about a half hour after uh, the service tonight. And if you could just continue to pray for pastor for healing and strength, uh, that would be appreciated. And again, the offering tonight will be going uh, the special offering for the building fund. Tim, could you please lead us in prayer? Lord, we're thankful for the opportunity that you give us to be here on a Friday night. We're just thankful for the sacrifice that you made on the cross. Lord, we pray that you would just give us uh, generous hearts as we remember what you've done for us, how generous you've been with us. Uh, Lord, from the uh, mere finances to the great sacrifice you made on the cross. We ask that you would bless now this offering as we bless the giver. We ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen.
sing uh, one more uh, song, and then we have the privilege of having Aaron Simonson with us, missionary evangelist, uh, back to uh, going back to Kenya, and uh, just thankful that he could come and preach for us tonight. And uh, you know, a little history of Aaron. I think I was actually one of the first people, besides his parents, in the church to meet him. Um, I actually went with his parents, I believe, to the orphanage before they had adopted him and was able to, I was in Kenya at the time. So sometimes, I guess that makes me a little old though as I start telling stories like that, right? So, but we're so thankful for what the Lord has, has done in his life and that he's able to be with us and bring forth the word of God. Oh. 
right. Good to be back um, here in a familiar setting. You know in a, you're in a familiar setting when people can give introductions like that. Um, <laughs> uh, that happened uh, 27 years ago, uh, just so that you know that. That kind of dates Pastor John. <laughs> um, so, but it's been a good 27 years, and I'm thankful for each year. Um, and I'm thankful to be back here. And uh, I'm gonna pr- let's uh, turn our Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter number 27. Matthew chapter number 27. Somebody asked me before the service tonight if I was going to preach about Jesus. Um, I think I'll throw his name in there a few times, you know, a couple sentences here and there about him. But it is wonderful to talk about Jesus. It's wonderful to think about what he did for us. And um, I think it's only appropriate that we should talk about Jesus. You know, he talks about us up there. And so I think it's only appropriate that we should talk about him down here, don't you think? All right, so let's turn to uh, Matthew chapter number 27. Um, Obviously, today is Good Friday, the day that most of the world um, celebrates or commemorates the death of Christ, and so we're going to uh, do that tonight. I want to draw your attention to um, that crucifixion scene in verses 33 uh, through 36, and uh, we're going to read that briefly, and then we're going to look at um, the particular point that God has laid on my heart. Matthew chapter number 27 And verses uh, 33 through 36, it says, And when they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink, mingled with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him, and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there. Does that last verse strike you as interesting? They sat down, and they watched him. What did they see when they saw him, while they were watching? What did they notice? What did they notice about Christ that was different from every other crucifixion that they had seen, that they had witnessed, that they had participated, that they had carried out? I want to call your attention to just three things tonight. I don't want to be long. Um, But I want to call your attention to Christ's sufferings. And then I want to call your attention to Christ's success. And then I want to call your attention to Christ's secret or Christ's supply. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your death on the cross. I pray that you would help us to grasp the significance of what these people saw. And I pray that we would be able to apply it to our lives. Lord, I pray if there's any lost souls here tonight that are not yet saved, Lord, I pray that they would see you as being sufficient for their salvation. And I pray that tonight would be the day of salvation for them. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to draw your attention first to the suffering, Christ's suffering there on the cross. And I think you know that Christ's suffering was indeed very, very physical. Um, in Matthew chapter 26, if you turn back, um, in, your, in your Bible, maybe a page over in your, um, in your Bible. Mine is on the same page. But Matthew chapter 26 and verses 67 and 68, it says, then, they did, then did they spit in his face and buffeted him, and others smote him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy unto us, thou Christ, who is he that smote thee? Christ's suffering was very physical. These grown men would take their fists, and they would punch his face. They would take their open hand and they would slap him, asking, who, who punched you? Who hit you? Later on, we've, another uh, prophet tells us that 
they tar took the, his beard and they ripped it out of his face. Another, in another place we read that um, he was scourged. Um, I, know, I know you've probably heard you know, the stories, the description about the scourging that went on in those days. You know, how the kind of wit that they used had nine strands and how those strands were filled with bones. And, I, and I'm not in a place to describe everything that Christ suffered and how that felt for Christ. But I think you all know that. You're familiar with that. You've heard reports about that. Okay? They put a crown of thorns on his head. And these were not just these little thorns. These, big, these were big thorns, inch-long thorns. And they took a reed and they slammed it onto his head driving those thorns deep into his skull. And then they took him out to crucify him. Crucify him. They made him bear, carry his cross. And he stumbled and fell. And they had to ask someone else to pick him up by the way, to pick up that cross and carry it the rest of the way. And then in Psalm chapter 22, just hold your place there in Matthew chapter 27 and turn to Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is one of those messianic psalms. It very vividly describes the suffering that Jesus went through, the physical suffering that Jesus went through on the cross. Matthew chapter number 22 and verses 14 through 17. Matthew, or Psalm 22 and verses 14 and 17 says, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. This is very literal, by the way. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. And my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. He, he was, his mouth was dry from a lack of water. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have come past me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. These were, no just, these were not just little nails that they put into his hands and his feet. These were very rough, unsmooth nails, probably rusty. And they drove it into his wrists, into his bones, so that they could fasten him there onto the cross both his hands and his feet. I may tell all my bones because of the scourging. The scourging had left him looking like a skeleton. I may tell all my bones they look and they stare upon me. And so we see that Jesus' suffering was physical. But there's more to that. There's more to his suffering than just the physical suffering that he endured on the cross. There is the emotional suffering that he went to. There's the emotional suffering. What would it be like if you were in your darkest hour and everybody you knew, everybody that you trusted, left you, abandoned you, claimed they did not know you? I want to remind you that Peter was outside during his trial denying Jesus three times, saying he never knew him. This was Christ's best apostle. I want to remind you that during this time, the morning after Judas betrayed Jesus, he went out and he hung himself. I want to remind you that all the apostles forsook him and left. And there was nobody standing with him. I want to remind you that throughout his life, those that he came to his own, and his own received him not. Do you think Jesus didn't suffer emotionally from the rejection and from the abandonment, from the desertion of his disciples? Do you think this did not affect him? His message was rejected. His claims, which were not just claims. He didn't just claim to be God. He was God. 
He didn't just claim to be Israel's Messiah. He was their Messiah. He was testifying what was true, what was real. What he knew in the depths of his soul was, the rea- was reality. And everybody said, no. We don't want this kind of person to reign over us. We don't want this king. We don't want this Messiah. He said to Nicodemus, We speak that we do know and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. How do you think Jesus felt? As he testified, this is the truth. This is what I came to do. This is my mission. I'm your Messiah. And everybody said no. Do you think that had an emotional effect, a mental effect on our Lord and Savior? He was very human. I'm sure it did. Isaiah chapter 53 says he was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Isaiah 53 also says that the Lord put him to grief. Isaiah 53 also says that he saw the travail of his soul. The travail of his soul. He's very deeply, deeply affected. His suffering was very emotional. But his suffering was not just physical, it wasn't just emotional, it was also a spiritual suffering. A suffering that, most of, that we as Christians will probably never face in our own lives because Jesus on that cross, in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 and verse number 21, it says, He, God made him to be sin for us. God made him to be sin. He became sin on our behalf. And let me remind you, it was not just the little sins that we commit, the, the harsh word that we say every once in a while, or, you know, the little white lies. We call them little, little white lies. You know, every lie is big in God's eyes but the little white lies. I want to remind you that Jesus did not just become those little sins. Jesus became all the horrific sins that you and I hear about in society today. All the abuse, all the trafficking, all the murders, all the genocide, all the sexual perversion. Jesus became that sin on your behalf on my behalf, on the world's behalf. He never knew sin in his life. The Bible says he became sin, he he was made to be sin for us who knew no sin. He had never known sin. He had never done sin. He had never even thought about committing sin. Yes, he was tempted, but he never crossed his mind that he was going to yield to this sin, to any sin. He was perfect. He was holy. He was spotless from all eternity. And then to actually become all the things that he detests, What do you think that had, what effect do you think that had on him? On the cross, God the Father treated him as a sinner. And because because Jesus became sin, the Father had to look away. The Father had to turn his face. And Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? There in verse 46 of Matthew chapter 27. Why have you left me? He had experienced perfect fellowship with God the Father all throughout eternity. And then he made sin and separated. Let me just make a side note. Any of you who have walked with God for any amount of time and then you you fall into sin, you sin. And immediately in your heart you recognize there's that separation. 
that you know that you're not walking with God anymore, and there's that closeness is gone. That's just a small, and that feeling is horrible, by the way. Any of you who have ever experienced that, you know how terrible that is. It's like hell on earth. And that's what drives you and me back to Jesus, that closeness, that desire for that fellowship. Jesus had that desire in him. But for six hours, he could not, get, he could not see his father. He could not experience that closeness. There's that spiritual suffering. So we see the suffering of Christ. And the people all saw, saw this as they sat down and they watched him there. I want to call your attention now to the success of Christ. You've seen his suffering. But even in his darkest hour, as he experienced this physical pain, as he experienced this emotional suffering, as he experienced this spiritual separation from God the Father, his death, praise God, was not in vain. His death was not in vain. His death was instantly successful. Instantly successful. His suffering was instantly and immediately successful. How so? It was successful in four ways um, immediately there. Um, You see his silence. When he was accused, when he was whipped, when he was mocked, when he was scorned, the Bible says he opened not his mouth. Not one word of complaint. Not one word of murmuring. Not one word of frustration. Silent. He spoke when he needed to speak, but there was never a word of complaint. There was never, n- never a word of threat. He never threatened those who had, who is, who had persecuted him. Silence. And they saw that. They were watching this. They saw his silence. They saw his selflessness. I think you remember in the book of Luke chapter number 22, Jesus was heading out to the cross, and there were ladies there along the side of the road, weeping for him. And rightfully so, because he was suffering all of this unjustly. And what did Jesus do? Did he soak it in? Did he accept it? No, what did Jesus say? He said to them, Daughters, weep not for me. Don't cry for me. Cry for yourselves. How many other criminals? How many other people? How many of us, when we're going through a hard time, are still, self, still remain selfless in that harsh time? Jesus was selfless. He reached out to those who were in need. He said, weep not for me. Don't cry for me. Don't have pity on me. He didn't have a pity party. He was selfless. And then on the cross, he's just about to die. He's just, he's just about to take his last breath. And he notices his mother there. And he says, and he noticed John too. And he says, woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. And he makes sure his mother is taken care of in his last hours. With nails in his hands and his feet. He was still loving and caring and respectful to his mother. And just as another side note, if Jesus could, was able to respect his mother in his darkest hour, then I think you teenagers, you young people, need to take extra special care to respect your parents at home and to treat your mother with respect and with love. If Jesus could do it in your darkest hour, so can you.
But that's a side note. Um, it's just something interesting that you know, God pointed out to me. But his selflessness, his silence, his selflessness, his supplications. You know about the prayers on the cross. And the people were watching him. The people watching him saw him pray. Do you think a normal criminal on a cross would have been praying at, this time, at such a time as this? But Jesus prayed. He prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He prayed for those who had whipped him. He prayed for those who had driven nails into his hands and his feet. He prayed for those who had gambled with his clothes. He prayed for them. He interceded for them. He prayed to God. He talked to God. And they saw that there. And then finally, they saw his salvation. They saw his silence. They saw his selflessness. They saw his supplications. They saw salvation. The thief on the cross. You know the story. Luke chapter number 23. Matthew, actually very interesting. Um, Matthew chapter 27 and verse number 44 says, The thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. Both thieves started off mocking Jesus. Both thieves were like the crowd. Both thieves were harsh to him. But one thief kept watching. And one thief noticed the difference. And one thief noticed this person is not a normal criminal. This person is not like us. This person does not deserve what we're going through. This person has done nothing amiss. And on that day, as Jesus was dying for our sins, that thief cried out to him. And Jesus was able to offer him eternal life. Right there and then. The cross was immediately successful in its purpose. Immediately successful. And then the soldiers, you read there in Matthew chapter 27 and turn over to verse number 54. Matthew chapter 27 and verse number 54. It says, Now when the centurion and they that were with him, watching Jesus, saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly this was the Son of God. These soldiers were the same ones who had mocked him. These soldiers had put a crown of thorns on his head. They beat him with a reed. They took him out to crucify him. They gambled for his clothes. But these soldiers saw him. They watched him. And these soldiers were no newbies to this art of crucifixion. These soldiers knew what they were doing. These soldiers had experience. But as they watched Jesus there, he said, this one is different. This one is different. And it says they feared greatly. They recognized who he was. And they confessed him as the Son of God. Immediate success. Salvations right in the midst of this suffering. They feared greatly and believed him as the Son of God and believed that Jesus that day. So there was immediate success. But there was also eternal success. Eternal success from Christ's suffering. Because you know, I think you know very well, Jesus purchased eternal salvation for the whole world there on that cross. I have no time to tell you how everything that, that cross meant to our salvation. But he now offers forgiveness and he offers pardon to every person on earth. His death was sufficient for every man, woman, and child who has ever lived on the face of this earth. There is no limited atonement. Christ's death is unlimited in its scope. And now he offers forgiveness and pardon for every sin. 
There's no sin that he cannot forgive. He said all sins will be forgiven by the Son of Man. Everything that you've ever done against God can be forgiven him if you simply receive his gift of salvation. It's not about you working up to it. When Jesus finished his work on the cross, he said, it's finished, it's done. The payment is full, the payment is complete. There's nothing else for anyone to do. The gift of salvation has been purchased with my blood. I've paid it in full. And now I'm offering it to the world. And the gift of salvation is available for every person in this room. Some of you have received it, and praise God for that. Some of you perhaps have not. Some of you have not yet come to that point where you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. Some of you have not yet come to that point where you receive the gift of eternal life that Jesus is offering to you. And on this Good Friday, there would be no better way for you to celebrate this Good Friday than to receive the gift of eternal life that Jesus offers to every person on this planet, and specifically to you. It's not something that you can earn. It's not something that you have to work for. Salvation never came through your religion. It never comes through baptism. It never comes through the Lord's Supper or communion or the Eucharist or whatever you want to call it. It never came through your own goodness because you never had any goodness to offer God anyway. But Jesus was 100% good. And Jesus was 100% perfect. And he offered his goodness to God. And God accepted it. And now God says, because of Christ's goodness, whoever believes on him will have eternal life. They will not face condemnation. They will spend forever in heaven with him. Are you saved today? Are you born again today? Have you received that gift of eternal life that Jesus purchased there, that Jesus succeeded in winning on the cross? Eternal salvation. Eternal sanctification. Did you know that Jesus not only purchased, completed our salvation on the cross, he also completed our sanctification as well, our holiness, our, Christ, our growth in Christ? In the Bible, in Hebrews, I forgot to write the reference down, but Hebrews says, by one offering, Jesus has perfected forever them who are sanctified. Perfected forever those who are sanctified, those who are saved. Did you know that the Bible says that you as a believer are complete in him? Complete in Jesus? Right now, today, as you sit here, as I stand here, I'm complete in Jesus? That was done on the cross. Romans chapter number 6. I don't have time to turn there. But if you study Romans chapter number 6, you find that the old man, our old man, that body of sin, was crucified with Christ at the same time that he he was purchasing our salvation. And our history, Christ's history and our history, have been merged together. We have been planted together in the likeness of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And that, Paul says, is the source. That is the basis. That's the foundation for your new life in Christ. You don't have to strive, you don't have to work for, you don't have to earn God's favor. God is already 100% in your favor. You just need to live by that. You just need to believe that. You just need to believe that you've been united to Jesus. You've been united in his death. You've been united to him 
in his resurrection. Jesus has purchased perfect sanctification for us. We are dead to sin because Christ died. We are raised to new life. And as we reckon ourselves to be dead indeed to sin because we died with Christ, and as we reckon ourselves alive to God, sin will not have any dominion over us. Sin will not have any dominion over us, okay? How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Is the apostle's question. And the obvious answer is, we shouldn't. Why do we? You know, Hebrews says, let us lay aside those besetting sins. Those sins that you struggle with. Those sins that you feel like you're never going to get over. What's the solution in Hebrews 12? It says, lay it aside. Wow, that sounds simple. It's besetting sin. I'm struggling with it. I've been struggling with it all my life. Lay it aside. You're dead to it. Lay it aside and run the race that's set before you. Put it off. Christ's death is yours. Christ's life is yours. He's purchased eternal salvation. He's purchased eternal sanctification. Christ died for us, and we died with him. So we've seen Christ's suffering, and we've seen how Christ's success, Christ's suffering was a success. And how even through his darkest hour, he was able to triumph. In his darkest hour, he was able to minister to others. In his darkest hour, he was able to be a blessing. And in his darkest hour, he purchased eternal salvation and eternal sanctification for those there at the cross and for everybody else who will be saved in human history. So how did that happen? How was he able to triumph in suffering? How is he able to be prosperous? How is he able to succeed and to overcome? I want to point you to Christ's secret. I want to point you to Christ's secret, and I want to turn to Luke chapter number 22, because there's three words that I want you to note down if you're taking notes. There's three words that I want you to note down that are the keys to Christ's handling of suffering. And then we're going to make it an application to our own lives. Luke chapter number 22. Luke chapter number 22. This scene is the Garden of Gethsemane. And I'm sure you're familiar with this scene. I want to call your attention to just a little detail that I think Luke alone includes in his gospel. In Luke chapter 22 and verses 41 to 43, And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. There's the emotional stress of knowing what was going to come. He knew the physical suffering. He knew the emotional suffering. He knew the spiritual suffering, the separation from God. He knew it was coming. And that weighed down on him. And so he said, Father, if thou be willing. He was very human. Remove his cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, not my will but thine be done. And verse 43 is what I want to call your attention to. There, it says, And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. First word is strength. Strength. 
I do not believe that Jesus would have been able to go through and succeed what he did, what he did in what he did without strength, without this strength from this angel. And that angel obviously was sent from God. He was unable, I do not believe he would have been able to go through with this. The weight would have killed him before he had completed his mission. But there appeared an angel from heaven strengthening him. Now secondly, turn to Hebrews chapter number 2. Strength is the first word. Hebrews chapter number 2. Hebrews is an amazing book, by the way. I don't know if you've ever read through Hebrews, but it's an amazing book. It's all about Jesus and how he's better. I just finished through reading it. It's eye-opening. It's tremendous. But Hebrews chapter number 2 and verse number 9. But we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. And this is the phrase I want you to note, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Second word is grace. First word is strength. Second word is grace. By God's grace, Jesus tasted death for all of us. What is God's grace? God's favor, God's strength, God's you know, em- empowerment, God's, um, God's blessing, God's enabling. Jesus lived by the grace of God. If you remember Luke chapter number 2, when he was a young boy, the Bible says that Jesus grew, he waxed strong in spirit, and the grace, was God, the grace of God was upon him. From the very beginning of his life, God's grace, God's favor, God's enabling power was on Jesus Christ. And now, in his trial, in his darkest hour, it was that grace that carried him through. It was that grace that enabled him to triumph. It was that grace that enabled him to succeed. Strength. Grace. One more word. Hebrews chapter number 9. Hebrews chapter number 9 and verse number 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who, and here's the phrase, through the eternal spirit, offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God who through the eternal spirit, the third word is spirit, grace, strength, spirit. You know, Jesus lived a life that was in control, of the, by the, that was, that was, he was under control of the Holy Spirit. He was conceived by the spirit. He was anointed by the spirit at baptism. He was full of the spirit when he went out into the wilderness to be tempted. He preached in the power of the Spirit when he came back. He told the Pharisees, I cast out demons through the Spirit of God. He lived his life under the influence and the power of the Holy Spirit as an example to you and me. And now, as he faces death, it was the Spirit that empowered him to be successful in his death, in his mission, in his suffering. 
It was the Spirit that enabled him. And if Jesus needed to rely on the Holy Spirit to be active and present in his life and to get him through this dark hour, how much more do we? And that's the point I want to land on tonight. I know that our Christ's suffering on Good Friday is, you know, compared to our, you know, what we go through, the difficulties, the trials that we go through, it's nothing. Okay? Christ suffered infinitely more than we'll ever face. And we're grateful for that. But I want to make this application tonight. Because I know there are probably some in a room this size, this many people here, there are probably people that are going through something that is very difficult. Maybe it's something that you can't even tell other people. Maybe it's something that you just kept to yourself. A dark hour, a period of suffering, a period of trial, a period of difficulty. Maybe it's physical. Maybe you have a loved one that's going through a physical trial. Maybe you have someone that you, you know someone, or maybe you yourself are going through an emotional trial. Maybe you're experiencing what one, you know, one author called the dark night of the soul, where God seems a million miles away. And that closeness is gone. May I direct your attention to Jesus tonight? May I direct your attention to how Jesus experienced and how Jesus went through and how Jesus succeeded in his in his uh, suffering, there is only one way to be a light. There is only one way to be fruitful, even in difficult times. There is only one way to be prosperous. There is only one way to powerfully impact those around you who are those around you who are watching, and those who will hear of your condition in the future when your suffering is past. There is only one way: the strength of God the grace of God, the Spirit of God. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. Access the grace of God wherein you stand. The Bible says that we're standing in grace. God's grace is all around us. God's grace is accessible, easily accessible by faith. By faith. Access the grace wherein you stand. Expect it. Depend upon it. Tell God you need it. You know, God's, God works in, a, you know, a, in response to our need. God works in response to our call. You tell God that you need grace for whatever you're going through, that's when you access it. It's accessed by faith. Who in your life needs to see the grace of God? flowing freely in your life. Let me remind you that as back, back in that day, just as people were watching Jesus in his suffering, people watch us as we go through life. People watch us when we come to difficult things. People watch us. People are looking. People are listening. Who in your life needs to see the strength of God flowing through your life? Who in your life needs to see the grace of God flowing freely in your life? Who in your life needs to see you filled with the Holy Spirit? Are there lost people in your life that need to see you? Are there saved people that need to see you? 
They need to see the grace of God. Are there, is it, it could be your family, your spouse, your children. It could be strangers. A lot of times we don't even know who's watching. Well, let me tell you this, and I'll close. The strength, same strength that Christ was given in the garden can be yours. The same grace that Christ accessed can be yours. The same spirit that anointed and filled Jesus all throughout his ministry can fill you, even in the valley of the shadow of death. It's the same spirit. It's the same grace. It's the same strength. And as that spirit flows through you, as that strength flows through you, and as that, you know, that grace is active in your life, you know what people will actually be seeing? People will not actually be seeing you. As that strength, that grace, that spirit flows through you in your darkest hour, they'll actually be seeing Jesus and his life being lived out through you. And that's attractive. That's what draws people. That's what saved the thief and the soldiers. We need that grace. We need that strength. We need that spirit. Okay? In the death of Christ, there is a lesson of suffering for us. Let's not miss it through self-pity and complaining and worry. Receive his strength. Access his grace and be filled with his spirit. Let's bow our heads. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I'm just going to give an invitation, two questions. I want to pray for you. I'm wondering here tonight, maybe you're here today and you've been listening to the sermon. We've talked about the death of Christ. we talked about he purchased salvation for every man. He purchased eternal forgiveness for every person in this room. And perhaps there are some here who have never received Christ as their Savior. You've never accessed that salvation. You've never received Christ's gift of eternal life. You've never been born again. You're trusting yourself, your church, your baptism, whatever. And you would acknowledge tonight, God's spoken to me. I need to be saved tonight. I need to be born again. Is there anyone here tonight who would say, I have not yet made that decision of faith, but God's speaking to my heart, and I want to be saved tonight. I want to receive that gift of eternal salvation that Jesus purchased for me on the cross. Is there anyone here at all who would say that? Just by lifting your hand, I'm not going to point you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. Is there anyone at all who is not yet saved and would like to receive Christ tonight? I ask those who are, who are saved, who have received Christ's gift of salvation. You're 100% sure that you're on your way to heaven. Have you recognized that Christ's death is sufficient for victory over sin? That besetting sin that you've been struggling with? Have you realized that your old man is crucified with Jesus and you're dead indeed to sin? How many would say, God has spoken to me about my identity in Christ and I just need to stop trying harder and just know, reckon, and yield to him? If God's spoken to you about that tonight, would you raise your hand? I can pray for you. Amen. Amen. I see those hands. I see those hands. Many hands. Let me put them down. Anyone else? 
God's spoken to me about my identity in Christ. I just need to stop striving and rest in what's already true. And then finally tonight, how many of you are going through a trial of difficulty and you have people watching you in your trial? Believers, friends, unbelievers, family, perfect strangers. And how many of you have been reminded of your need for God's strength, God's strength, God's uh, grace, and God's spirit? If God has touched you tonight about accessing God's strength and God's grace and God's spirit, would you raise your hand and you cry out to God? Say, God, I need your power. God, I need your favor. God, I need your filling of your Holy Spirit so I can succeed in my trial. And even bring others to Jesus. I see those hands. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. I'm going to have a prayer. And then we're going to have an invitation. We're going to have an old-fashioned invitation where you can come forward and kneel before God. The piano will play softly. And you can just talk to God and cry out to him and tell him that you need his strength, you need his grace, you need his spirit. Father, I pray that you would work in this building tonight, that your spirit would move in hearts. You've touched many lives. Lord, I pray that they would access your strength, that they would access your grace, they would access your spirit. They would learn from Jesus Pray for each hand that was raised that you would meet them tonight as they do business with God. I'm going to have you all stand. If you'd all stand to your feet, just right where you are, I'm going to have the piano begin to play. And the altar is open. If you want to do business with God, the altar is open. Tell Him that you need His strength, tell Him that you need His grace. Tell him that you need his spirit. He's more than willing. If you need to deal with a sanctification issue, you have a besetting sin, come forward. Or just sit there in your chair and do business with God. Lay aside every weight and the besetting sins. And if you need the Savior, Christ's arms are open wide. Disciples forsake him, and you know, why did they all go away? 
And you know, you think of the garden, how Christ was praying and they were sleeping. You know, Christ said, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. And you know, if, if Christ needed that spiritual strength, how much more do we? And uh, we have it, but we need to access it. And uh, so, may we go from here, really resting in the Lord Jesus Christ and the victory that is ours in Him and praising Him for all that He did uh, for us, the great sacrifice that He made for us. Uh, Wyatt, could you please close some prayer? Lord, thank you for the stirring message we heard tonight. And Lord, it's amazing to think about all that Jesus went through. Lord, would you give us the grace, the strength in your spirit? And Lord, would we go forward with a greater zeal, a greater passion, and a greater desire to serve you? And uh, when we think of all you went through, it's nothing compared to what we have to go through. We, uh, we have it so easy. Lord, would you just help us? Uh, just to remember what Sunday coming up here is all about, would rejoice in the fact we have salvation. Praise things in Jesus' name, amen. amen.